It's Bob McCown. It's John Shannon on the uh, radio program slash podcast. Well, if you, uh, if you know me, if you uh, go back far enough with me, then you will absolutely know our guest today. Marconi? Almost. <laughs> he, um, I, I think he was, he was certainly the first regular guest I ever had when I started the talk show in the 1970s. Um, and he was always one of my favorite people. And we're going to talk to him to, uh, to get today, uh, reintroduce him to a bunch of people, I think, and introduce him to those that may not go back that far. George Hoffman from Chicago, when we come back after these messages. McCowan Shannon, back with you. Um, every once in a while, you think back historically to uh, where you started. And when... 5,000-watt radio station in... Well, Fresno, actually, I started, I started with a 50,000-watt radio station in Toronto, <laughs> which is, is rare. But um, I launched the first uh, daily sports talk show in Toronto in the, um, in the 1970s. And I don't remember exactly how we met, but George Hoffman was, I think, my first regular guest that came on on a weekly basis. And I was thinking about, and it's it's over forty years ago, well, which means he is really old. <laughs> I of course haven't aged a day. Uh, George Hoffman from Chicago uh, joins us, and uh, it's wonderful to see you. You have a little less hair than the last time I saw you, I think, but you always used to wear hats. Me? Yeah, every time I saw you, you had a hat on or something. Oh, I wasn't really much of a hat guy. I can tell you though that uh, I looked in the bathroom mirror today. And my wrinkles now have wrinkles. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a good thing. Well, actually, and truth be told, George, the reason you're on is because uh, the people in Calgary are lamenting that their hockey world is coming to an end with what's going on with their hockey club. People in Toronto are bitching and complaining about Maple Leafs goaltending. And so, you know, the producer got to thinking, it can't all be that bad in these cities. Let's talk about Chicago. Because it's really bad in Chicago. It's and really bad to, here. Who better to talk about Chicago than George Hoffman? Am I right, Bob? Uh, you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I mean, so if you were, if you were lamenting the Chicago sports scene, Hoffman, which franchise would you say is the most disappointing? Oh, there isn't any question. It's the Blackhawks. I mean, we have seen this franchise go from the outhouse in 2004 when ESPN named it the worst sports franchise in North America. Worst to the penthouse in around 2010 when they won the first of three Stanley Cups in six seasons, albeit nobody knowing about the Kyle Beach situation, to going not back to the outhouse, but into a black hole. And... What they have done, essentially, albeit without Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves involved yet, is strip this franchise down to become an expansion franchise. They've literally overhauled it in every way, shape, or form, from management to Pat Foley retiring to Eddie Olchek, who wanted a five-year contract. They only offered him two, and he said toodaloo and went to Seattle. So... <sighs> What they have basically done is advertise to everybody around the NHL and to their own fans in large neon, in a large neon sign, tanking, tanking, tanking. 
they want to be so bad that they could get or at least have the best chance to get the top pick in the NHL draft, or at least the top three picks, because they're going to a pretty deep draft next year. There's no assurance of that, but obviously the worst they can be, it's the best off they can. And I'll give you one example. The trading of Alex Debrinkin, which I was totally against because he's 24, he's a 40-goal scorer, they do not grow on trees. And what they determined was two things. One, we don't want to pay him because he's going to – earn at least $9 million next year. And second, he's a goal scorer and they want to get rid of him so they can be bad. So now they are trying to put kind of a pressure on Taves and Kane, who have one year left on their long-term contracts, paying them $10 million plus a year. Uh, obviously, they have the no-movement clause. So it's up to them. But then again, consider the source and what they can get for them because what they got from Alex Debrinkin, all they got from C, uh, from Ottawa was a seventh round pick and nothing more. Well, that's intriguing because um, you know my first question would would have been, you know, during this period of teardown, and I don't know how long I don't know whether this you would consider this a teardown of uh, recently they decided to do this a teardown. This is one of those giant cranes with one of those big balls demolishing well, Chicago yeah. Stadium. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, but I mean, this team hasn't been good for a while. So the trading of Kane and Taves would be, I would think, high on the priority list uh, if you're looking to to tear to tear the thing down. Uh, not not because they have become bad players, but they each make, as you said, well, their cap figures. hit their, their their cap hit is over is is one thing. Their 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 cash out is not $10 million anymore, right? which is, which is the one thing that makes them attractive in the open market. If, they, if you have a team that still has space and does and, and the difference between cap and cash, then both of them are attractive. Patrick Kane is by far the more attractive of the two players. Jonathan, oh, sure. Taves, Jonathan Taves, as great as he's been, as a leader has he's been, he's, he's, he's on the backside now. Kane can still, Kane can do exactly what, Debrinket did, I think, for a couple more years, don't you? Or at least, at least. I mean, you know, I, I look at Patrick Kane as uh, if he stays healthy, and he can do this for maybe two, three, four more years, yeah. depending yeah. on where he goes. But here's the issue, John. I'm sure you know it. He's not going to a bad team. He's going to be going to a really good team or a contending team, which makes it seem as if it would be a better idea to try to do this at the trading deadline than to try to do it now to extract what you can get. The bottom line, though, is if you're going to trade with a team that's a contender or thinks it's a contender, you need to get back more than just draft choices. You need to get back young players who are going to be part of your foundation. This is Patrick Kane. It's not Alex Dabrinkit. Well, do we know whether the Blackhawks approached either player over the last few years about the possibility of a trade and were turned down because of the no trade deals they have. All I know is that the general manager, Kyle Davidson, did have a long talk with them recently. I think they know what's going on. I don't know if he specifically told them, I want to trade you. I think if you read between the lines, they know it. He mm -hmm. knows it. And it depends on whether or not they want to continue to endure more losing. In the case of Kane, he is rising and rising more closely to breaking records people thought would never be broken in Chicago. Records uh, like Stan Makita. 
certainly not the goal scoring of Bobby Hull, but those are the kind of records he can reach. If he's traded, he can't reach those records anymore. And the Blackhawks know that, but they also know that his presence on the ice makes players better. They don't want to be better. They want to be worse. They want to be the worst of the worst. Why didn't they do this years ago? Because Stan Bowman just did an awful job of general managing this team. He traded away just about every first round pick over the last 10 years you can imagine. And on top of that, he signed Seth Jones. And that contract is worse than the Brent Seeper contract he signed him to because it really, you know, it stifled what they could do. I hate to say they're stuck with Seth Jones, John, but they're stuck with Seth Jones. Well, it, it actually brings up a question when you talk about Kane and Taves maybe wanting to leave. When do we start hearing rumbling that Seth Jones is saying, well, hold on now. I signed this big contract. I got you to trade for my brother, even though now he's a free agent. Um, you know, when are we going to hear that Seth Jones wants out of Chicago? Yeah, but who's going to take him in that contract? That's the real question. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's that. That's an albatross contract. It's just we're not talking about, you know, when they tried to get Brent Seabrook to leave, they they couldn't because he had aged pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. In the case of Seth Jones, he's young. But how many teams in the NHL are going to look at that guy who well, some people thought was a disappointment? He had a pretty good year for the Blackhawks. Uh, this year are going to say, you know, we'll take another nine million a year for the next eight years. I don't think so. Hmm. This teardown, though, is a fairly recent acknowledgement. Yes, this is when Rocky Wirtz uh, decided to to make these moves. You know, Danny, his son, took over. Jamie Faulkner became the president of the operations. Her husband works in a high-ranking position with the Chicago Cubs. And their aim was to completely demolish what this franchise was. Remember, it had some very big issues concerning Kyle Beach mm -hmm. and cost a lot of people their jobs, including Joel Quenville in Florida. So that issue, we all knew would kind of maybe get into the background. Now it's more of Eddie Olchek, you know, and, and his departure because he was the face of the franchise. Not, not really Patrick Kane so much now. It's, it's Eddie Olchek. I talked to Eddie the other day. You know, Eddie wears his heart in his sleeve. He wanted to stay here. He really did. But they have two years left on a contract with uh, the current television uh, station that they're with or uh, NBC Sports Chicago. And so that's why they only offered Eddie a two-year deal. He said, no, I want five. I'm Eddie Olchek. And they said no. So he goes to Seattle, where his brother is the assistant general manager. I think his mm -hmm. son is in the organization. And, and, and he joked. He goes, watch, the first game I do with TNT will be the Colorado Avalanche. Their first game as they celebrate a Stanley Cup. Who do you think it's against? The Blackhawks. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I, it, it, is there a light at the end of the tunnel uh, here? Um, or is this... Is this just a panic situation in your view? Oh, no, no, no. It's, it's not a panic situation. This has all been thought out. It's, a lot of it's about money. I mean, they, they have, they've gotten rid of some of their PR people. Adam Baragawin was the director of uh, media relations for 14 years. He was let go. A lot, of, a lot of this does have to do with money. But no, this is all calculated. Every bit of this was calculated. It's like Foley and Olchek. Both were in the last year of the contract. Pat is my age. He's 68. 
Um, and he looked at me in the eye during an interview and said, I, I really do want to retire. But the question is, was Humpty Dumpty, did he fall or was he nudged? Mm-hmm. That's the question. We're both of them kind of like, you know, we're going to nudge you out of the organization. But, but, but George, when you talk about this being calculated uh, and, and, you know, and, and, you know, I spent a lot of time in Chicago, as you know, when the Hawks were really good, um, you know, the Hawks were relevant. But, you know, and, and they became a, a diamond in the National Hockey League. They became the cornerstone of national ratings. Yep. They became, they, they were, you know, and lots of people in Detroit are going to argue and, and Boston are going to, they were America's team for, for a decade. Yep. Um, relevance has disappeared. How long is it going to take them now to become relevant again? Years. And when Foley leaves, but then Eddie, now you're talking about how many people are going to watch this right. lousy franchise. Yes, Bob, there may be light at the end of the tunnel. That's why they're doing all this. That's why they traded Hagel, which was actually a good trade. They got two first-round picks and, uh, and uh, Doc, you know, whom a lot of people thought was a reach at number three. And traded him to Montreal. Think he's going to have pressure now? So those were good moves. No, they are looking at kind of completely restocking the franchise. This is something that should have been done years ago. But more than that, what Stan Bowman didn't do was to restock properly to at least get another Stanley Cup or two out of this group, which he could have done. But what happened was back in 2017, when the Hawks had the best record in the league, and were wiped out by Nashville in the first round. And that was the beginning of the troubles of Corey Crawford. Some of those troubles I can't even tell you on the air. I can't, can't talk about them. But when he went down, they slowly but surely started to slide. And then, then they, they get rid of Artemi Panarin, who really, really helped the franchise. Why did they do that? Money. Why did they have to do that? Because they were saddled with Kane, Taves, Keith, and Seabrook. So all this was the problem that was set earlier by Stan Bowman. It was not using the money smartly to get the right people. And so here you are five years later. I mean, really, they probably should have done this a couple of years ago. But here they are. Uh, and and I'm, it, this is a legitimate uh expansion franchise i'm talking about one that's not going to win for three years at least yeah at least with george Offman, a uh, long time um chicago sports broadcaster we used to i remember we used to jokingly suggest that the blackhawks had twenty thousand people every night in the arena and maybe another twenty thousand at home who would watch and that was about the extent of the blackhawks in the Chicago market. What, what is it like now? Well, I mean, a lot of people considered it a cult sport until they started to win. Mm-hmm. When they won, there were a lot more than 20,000 Blackhawks fans. I mean, the city really enveloped this team. They, they saw a winner. They saw a winner with personality. They saw an exciting uh, product. And so there were more than 20,000 in the building and more than 20,000 Hawks fans. They're back to being a cult sport. If that, I mean, seriously, other than watching Kane and Taves, 
who are people going to be watching? And without Eddie Olchek, they're going to be looking at, they don't even know who's going to replace Eddie Olchek. I mean, he, he was that valuable. A lot of people said, at the very least, keep him. Now, this to be noted, Eddie wanted to be the general manager of the Blackhawks. <laughs> That's what his goal was. He wanted to take over the franchise. And, you know, I, he talked to, I think he talked to New Jersey and Philadelphia about similar situations. And John, don't be surprised if he continues conversations with other teams as he goes along. I think this is what he really wants to do. Yeah. Well, the Black, all the Blackhawks did was say, you know, we want you to be part of the process in choosing a new general manager, which wound up being Kyle Davidson, which was a fate complete. So now they've gotten rid of one of the most important assets they have. Somebody, when people view the game, can at least have Eddie Olchek describing it to them. He's gone. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's funny. We've been we've been on the topic of the Blackhawks for 15 minutes. I, it's actually more time than I thought we would spend talking about hockey with George. Uh, and we haven't mentioned one name that I think that people, and lots of people haven't heard the name. Um, and their imp his impact in the Blackhawks, and he's disappeared completely, and that's John McDonough. And, 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 and let's face it, uh, the rise of the Blackhawks in the, the first decade of this century, a lot was around what John McDonough did yep. and how John McDonough brought people back, brought Pat Foley back, you know, got Joel Quinville to coach. Uh, John McDonough's fingerprints were all over this franchise for a long period of time. He was very media savvy and he understood what his role was. Uh, I've tried to get in touch with John over the course of the last couple of years. He doesn't respond. He's laid low. And particularly after the Kyle Beach mm -hmm. issue, you know, no one seems to hear from him. But yes, he brought Bobby Hull back. He brought Stan Bikita back. He brought all of these people back that the old Blackhawk fans were angry were gone. Uh, and he really got the media back because he was media friendly. Right. Uh, John wore out his welcome. John he did. He did, he did. He did wear out his welcome. Oh, yeah. John was John is a taskmaster and um, he can be ruthless at times. And I think that, you know, his time came. That was part of the dismemberment, if you will, of the Blackhawks that we see now. Well, let's um, at least temporarily move away from the Blackhawks into some of the other sports franchises. The Do we have to? Here, <laughs> no, yeah, because misery loves company, George. Let's talk about the Cubs and the White Sox. <laughs> well, this is, this is intriguing to me, is that when a franchise like the Blackhawks, by your own acknowledgement, loses its fan base, mm -hmm. And I don't mean it's gone forever, but right now they're they're disinterested, and they're disinterested principally. Oh, they're, mad. they're mad. They're yeah mad. because of the, their performance. Right. Um, it would be very easy to say the reason for that is because one of the other four or five major sports franchises has captured the imagination of the city. But the only one that might qualify would correct me if I'm wrong would be the Bulls. Yes, and, <laughs> and even they're not a championship team. They're not. The funny thing about it is when uh, the new management team, Arturis Pernishevis and his group took over, they made a lot of really good moves, including getting DeMar DeRozan, who nobody thought would be this good at this age. But I said it then, they're good enough not to be good enough. Now, 
they're still good enough not to be good enough because one of their lead players, Lonzo Ball, who they signed, uh, had a knee issue and a surgery in January, lost for the season, still, they say, making progress, not sure he's going to be ready for the season. Wow. He spent a lot of money on this guy who has averaged playing 50 games a year in his five-year career. That means he's missed 32 on average. That hurts the franchise. They're built. They were exciting. People came back to the United Center. They filled the house. I remember it wasn't that long ago. In 2020, they were drawing less than 10,000 in a building that would house 22,000 for basketball. In a building that was built for Michael Jordan. Yes. And suddenly, you know, they're winning games and they're, they're exciting. Now, what they did in, in, in re-signing Zach Levine, that had to be done. They're going to be good, but they're not going to be good enough. Exactly. Unless they make a major move, which probably will not happen this season. And they've got aging players. Their center is aging. DeMar DeRozan is aging. So they've got to really think outside the box how they can become a championship caliber team in an Eastern conference that is loaded. And I'm not even including the Brooklyn Nets, who've been a big disappointment. I'm not going to bounce around here, but um, the reality is the one team I suppose uh, uh, that you could look at and either with some optimism about was the White Sox at the beginning of this season. I, along with everybody else, I think baseball fans thought this is a team that hasn't really proven it yet, but is close to proving it and might be good enough, might just be good enough. And they're at 500 now. Um, what's, what's the headline in Chicago? I guess maybe that should have been the first question. Which disappointment is the biggest headline? Well, at the moment, it's the White Sox, who up until that last week where they won five out of six against Cleveland and Minnesota, were the most disappointing team in Major League Baseball. I think you're expected to romp in their division and be a contender for the World Series. So now they open up the second half at 46 and 46, three games behind Minnesota with the weakest schedule remaining in Major League Baseball. There have been a lot of issues with this team. A lot of injuries, a lot of players not living up to expectations, and Tony La Russa, who uh, took over a ball club last year, and they did win the division, but were wiped out by the Astros. Tony's made a lot of questionable moves. This is a guy who is a Hall of Famer, uh, three-time world champion, and yet came out of retirement after 10 years because Jerry Reinsdorf wanted to right or wrong. Uh, he allowed Hawk Harrelson to fire him in 1986, and Reinsdorf lamented that move. And here we are 36 years later, he hired him back at age 75. The bottom line is the White Sox bumbled their way to losses. They are not a smart baseball team. Uh, and part of that has to do with their manager, who usually manages smart teams. Part of it is they may not have that many smart players, but they make too many mistakes. In the second half, they've got, what, 70 games left? They've got to win probably 42 of them. I mean, they got to be at least at 87, 88 wins to win the division. It is a weak division, but they still have issues. Now, they signed Lance Lynn to an extension, a contract, couldn't pitch this year until June because of an injury for his knee. And he's looked terrible in seven starts with the exception of one. 
you know, they DFA'd uh, Dallas Keuchel. They were paying him a lot of money. Yasmani Grandel, their catcher, the highest paid player in White Sox history, mind you, a four-year deal worth $73 million. He's been out most of the year with an injury. That's an issue. And then they have Aloy Jimenez, their left fielder, who is not only injury prone, he's brittle. I mean, the guy can barely play, so they have issues. They're going to be looking for a starting pitcher right now. They're probably looking for a guy who's a number two or three pitcher, and we'll see what they do before the trading deadline. Can they still win the division? Yes. Have they been a huge disappointment to, uh, up to this point? Yes, again. Uh, my thoughts on Larusa. I mean, I know you you probably have interviewed him numerous times, and you. I was probably... there when he first came here in 1979. You know, yeah. the, this <laughs> unknown lawyer was now named the manager of the White Sox, and here he is again. Uh, he is the most miserable looking manager or, or sports <laughs> executive I've ever I've ever encountered. Now I've never talked to him. Um, what's he like in person? Is he is he generally closed mouth, kind of annoying? Um, well, I remember that you know when when every, anytime they lost, he was difficult to interview. Mm-hmm. He hated losing, um, but he has a tendency to look down at people and particularly the media when they ask legitimate questions like, why are you intentionally walking a guy with a one and two count? That's been the biggest story of the year thus far. They walked that guy. The next guy came up and hit a three run homer and people are saying, why are you walking a guy? And he's telling everybody you're crazy. I'm right. You're wrong. It just didn't work. Those are the things that have white Sox fans really angry at Tony La Russa. However, it's not going to get fired in the offseason if they don't make the playoffs. Then it might be a situation where he's kicked upstairs for the one more year left in his contract. Yeah. But this was a move made by Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner, and you know you reap what you sow. But it's funny because Reinsdorf, with his ownership in with the basketball team and his ownership with the White Sox, has been he's one of the constants in Chicago. Uh, how would you describe what people feel about? the owner of both the Bulls and the baseball team? Well, his son now runs the Bulls, Michael Reinsdorf, and he did the right thing. Michael did the right thing by cleaning the house and with John Paxson and whatever and hiring a new, you know, group to take over. And he's not meddled and they're doing okay. You know, Reinsdorf has been here since 1980 when he took the keys from Bill Veck. He's been very controversial. Um, I mean, the fact that they won six titles with the Bulls and Michael Jordan made them look good. And he finally won a title with the White Sox in 2005, but they've only been to the playoffs, what do I want to say, twice since then. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of people are, ang- a lot of White Sox fans are angry at him for, for hiring Tony LaRusso. Had they hired anybody else, they probably would have stepped back. But when they got Tony LaRusso, uh, a lot of fans say, why did you hire somebody at that age? Okay, let's not say that age is an impediment. If you can still think and you can still do your job, that's fine. But he has made some questionable moves. The question is, does he have this entire clubhouse with him? That's a real good question. Yeah. We're going to find out now in the second half. They won, they won big games in Minnesota when mm-hmm. they were trailing by five games in the division. Now they're trailing by three. And the question is now how they're going to do coming out of it. And they're hosting Cleveland this weekend. And that's a, that's a big series. Uh, we got more to talk about. George Hoffman is with us. We'll be back after these messages. McCowan, it's Shannon. We're back with you. George Hoffman, longtime Chicago broadcaster, is with us. Now, you're 
uh, we should probably do this at the very end of the show, but since I mentioned it, um, you're doing a podcast. Uh, but do you miss the broadcasting thing? Do you miss going into the station every day? Yeah, I do. It's been a couple of years since I was let go by the news radio station, WBBM, because of COVID. And, uh, you know, we're, we're working hard to try to get back in, but it's, it's difficult. Uh, the podcast, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, has been very good. Um, and it's wonderful to talk to so many incredible people uh, that have these connections to Chicago. So that's, that's, that's good. But yeah, sure, I'd love to get back into radio. So you know what? I can do your show every week. So hey, I tell you, give us some, every time I listen to your podcast, you, you you do this live read about this sausage company, and then I have I end up having to go and buy some brats. Oh, so what, what's the name of that company? Vienna. Vienna. Vienna beef is basically okay. the king. They're the king of hot dogs around the country, but they're 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 a Chicago hot dog institution since 1893. Oh. And I say I was weaned at it because I sold Vienna products when I was a kid. Okay. I didn't say you had to give a commercial, George. I, hey. I said, I said get, you know, just give them a nice little plug. <laughs> you know, I mean, because they're going to like this and, st- as, and stay with me. As Bob will attest, I think food I, food is quite important to me. So we, we people only need to look at you to understand that. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. And I, I specific, we had dinner together, Hoffman. Uh, uh, Shannon and I had dinner that last night. So I know exactly what his relationship with food is. Can I ask a really important question? Of course. Who picked up the check? Yeah, good, good question, George. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the answer is? Well, I'm not going to get into the specifics. But <laughs> two, two, of, two of us had to drive for miles and miles and miles to the restaurant that Shannon picked. <laughs> which he walked I to. could walk to <laughs> he walked there so um him picking now up you the know check who, was the now least you know who do. picked up the bill there I think go. I lost I lost a deal on on gas anyway at the price of gas oh yeah. please anyway so now we've we've done our due diligence we promoted your podcast there you go we've yeah. given your sponsor a good plug for Vienna meats and now I have to go buy more brats <laughs> uh the the Cubs who had this brief shot at relevance um, are back to being the Cubs uh, 22 games under 500. Yep. Um, but there, we all know there is a love affair in Chicago with the Cubs, but have we gone back to the days where they were the lovable losers? Uh, have, or, or does, does a championship or, or e- even, you know, a period of being a good team, it which they had, it spoils it. does that change that? I think the championship is worn off. Uh, they they had a teardown. They brought in Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer, and they rebuilt the club, and they made some incredibly good moves. And their drafts were just outrageous from Chris Bryant and Kyle Schwarber and all the trades they made for Jake Arrieta. And then they got Joe Madden. And they won a World Series in 2016, and they made the playoffs every year after that, but they just couldn't hit in the playoffs. And so last year, they they had the house sale, and they traded Rizzo uh, to the Yankees. They traded Javi Baez to the Mets, and then he was signed by the Tigers, and they uh, traded Chris Bryant to the Giants, and he was signed by Colorado. Uh, Bryant is coming around after having a horrible start with Colorado. He's got a bad back. Uh, Baez is still not hitting for Detroit. And Rizzo's had a nice season for the Yankees, only he's batting 220. 
I think they were all moves that they had to make. The question is what they would get for them. Now they're bad, and the trading deadline is around the corner, and they're probably going to trade Wilson Contreras, who's one of their best players, a catcher who's been in this organization for 17 years. He was a 16. No, he was a 15-year-old, like 16 years. He's 30. He's a catcher. But remember, they have the DH in the National League. A lot of people think they should re-sign him as part of their rebuild, or as Jed Hoyer calls it, retool. It's a little more than a retool. So they're going to make more moves. Um, they would have been a little better this year, but their three starting pitchers, Stroman, Miley, and Smiley, were all injured. It allowed some of the other young pitchers to come forward and show what they might have. So in the offseason, they will probably go out and make a few purchases. They did this last year, Stroman. They, they paid Stroman $71 million over three years, and they got Seo Suzuki, who was a sensation the first month he fell off, then he had an injured uh, finger. I think he's going to be a pretty good player. They have a few good players. Um, will they be considerably better next year? Probably not, but they will be better next year. Uh, but I think the World Series is kind of worn off, especially when you go, you know, they, they did the outhouse penthouse and mm -hmm. kind of the outhouse now, uh, but they're not as bad as the Blackhawks are. Uh, they, they will get better, but right now, look, they're not even drawing uh, you know, they were drawing 3.2 million. They'll be lucky to draw 2.5 million this year. That's a lot of people still, but it's under what they have done before. So here's a question I don't think I've ever asked you, and I, I probably should have. I know I should have. So you're for, we refer to the Cubs, or they are referred to as the North Side team, and the White Sox are the South Side team. And people look at that and think there's some kind of geographical line, uh, however blurred, that defines whether you're a fan of one team or the other. How real is that? It's still pretty real. I mean, there's that sense, like it is, I'm sure, in New York, that you're either a, a Mets fan or a Yankees fan. And here in Chicago, you're either a Cubs fan or a White Sox fan. I've always argued that I've been a fan of both, and there's a reason for that. But that notwithstanding, yeah, it doesn't mean that you were born on the north side and you're a north side fan. Michael Wilbon, you guys know, mm -hmm. was born on the south side of Chicago and is a Cubs fan, a diehard Cubs fan. But yes, that still holds true. There's very few that are fans of both. You're either a fan of one or you're a fan of the other. That's the way that's been now for over a hundred years. And and the and and the Cubs are a neighborhood team in theory. And the and let's face it, the White Sox you have to drive to the games. Well, it's it's. I think it's more than that's Wrigley Field. I mean, yeah. Wrigley Field is that. Is it still got the magic? Does it still um, have the magic? Well, I mean, it, it has the magic if they win, but people are still coming to the games. I mean, right. they completely redid the ballpark, but it's the structures. I mean, you still, you walk into Wrigley Field, you still see the ivy. It's still the same ballpark that I went to as a kid and reported there starting in 1978. Um, and the Cubs have historically done better than the White Sox in attendance, probably since Harry Carey came over from the White Sox mm -hmm. in 1980 or 81. And that, that changed everything. And then they had Sammy Sosa and people just flocked to the ballpark. So even when they were bad, they were drawing fans. While if you're the White Sox and they're bad, they're drawing like 1.5, 1.6 million. And this year they'll be lucky to get to 2 million, even with a reasonably good team. We'll, we'll see how that goes. So yeah, the kind of the White Sox are the number two baseball team in town. But but do people accept? I, I get to, back to Bob's point about the championship in 2016. Do people accept 
the Cubs being losers or how much, you know, cause part of part, cause part of, part of Wrigley, part of being a Cubs fan is the experience yes. as much as it is anything else. Mm-hmm. So it's do the, they, is losing, is losing more tolerated? Um, probably. I mean, Cubs fans are still demanding, but <laughs> you see the fans in the bleachers are enjoying themselves, which is what they've been doing now for gosh knows how many generations. Um, so yes, a lot of people go out there for the experience, but I mean, the majority of fans are in fact Cubs fans. No, they don't like losing. And I'm telling you, John, the attendance, if they had a contending team now, they draw another 500,000. It's a lot of people I might dead, and they're not. You're not getting sellouts at the ballpark anymore. There are a lot of empty seats at Wrigley Field. And the reason is those fans want to see a winning team. They don't have a winning team. Tell you what, well, I, I, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to, to have been to most major league stadiums. I still love going to Wrigley more than anywhere else. Wrigley to me, and I mean, and that's and that's Wrigleyville. That's you know, parking five blocks away, <laughs> or taking, or or even you know, even walking from downtown on a nice day, and and stopping on uh, at a pub maybe or a pizza place, and and then getting to the ballpark, and then sitting in those seats and just watching in the neighborhood. It right. is still remarkable. A lot of people who come to visit this city make it a point to get to Wrigley Field. Yeah. It's it's a tourist attraction. You know, it's it's why Chicago remains one of the number one tourist uh attractions in the world. You have Wrigley Field and you have uh you know their uh the river cruises which I believe remain either number one or number two as far as tourist attractions. Yes, Wrigley Field is a tourist attraction. The White Sox they're not <laughs> they're you know they're in a ballpark near the expressway and Wrigley That's Field right. is where it is. Yeah. The intriguing thing to me is that for a long period of time we used to regularly chat about two teams that had the two oldest and the two most iconic stadia in baseball, the Red Sox and the Cubs, and who also had, I believe, the two longest stretches of time without winning a World Series. And we used to have a conversation. I'm sure you and I did at some point, George, although I don't specifically remember like what happens if one of them wins, does that magic disappear as happy as the fans would be on that day? Was there something that drew their fan base to those teams because they could lament that neither one of them had won in so long? What do you think? Well, no, I think that look, the, <sighs> The Cubs were built to win in the late 60s. This is before the, well, I think it was the divisions just in place in 1969. They were. Yeah, yeah sure. The Miracle Mets. The, the Miracle Mets. Yes, and the demise of the Cubs. They had Hall of Famers. They had Ron Sano, Billy Williams, Ernie Banks. They had Fergie Jenkins. That's four Hall of Famers. That was a great team. They had by eight and a half games in middle August and lost by eight and a half games. And the Mets won the World Series. Then in the 80s, the Ryan Sandberg era and that 1984 team that raced to the playoffs. And remember, they didn't have lights. And so they had to start the first two games at Wrigley Field mm-hmm. and the final three games in San Diego. And they had a two games to none lead and lost. And then in 19, 
Well, then there's Steve uh, Bartman. Don't forget Steve Bartman. I was just going to say 2003, and I'm traveling with the Cubs then, and they're I'm in Miami at that stinking football stadium. They called a baseball stadium then, Pro Players Field. And they're up three games to one against the Miami Marlins. With And, and then they lose game six. And that, of course, is the fabled game um, with Bartman. I mean, they had Kerry Wood and Mark Pryor pitching. And they blew it. And they lost with Dusty Baker. And so they, you know, they teased Cubs fans for a long time. They had Lou Pinella. They made the, they made the playoffs twice in 2007, 2008, and lost both series and were swept, swept. <laughs> but it was, a, it, they were the love, they were, they and the Red Sox were lovable losers. Oh. It was a storyline for decades. And, and we talked about it constantly. Oh. And then all of a sudden, Cubs win, Red Sox won before, and, and that storyline disappears. Well, Red Sox won, Cubs won. And what's yeah. the common denominator? Theo Epstein. Theo Epstein, yeah. Theo Epstein. And, you know, that's, that's a common denominator, and they won twice. The Red Sox won twice. And when the White Sox won, they hadn't won in uh, 88 years. Yeah. You know? So it's, yeah, you know, other than the Bulls, and, of course, we haven't gotten to the Bears yet, and if they have – you know, they have a Super Bowl win in 1985, which seems like a lifetime ago. Um, another team on the rebuild. I mean, they, they other than having Justin Fields, who, you know, is they're expecting to be a better quarterback, albeit they don't have much of a team. They're a rebuilding team and probably will be moving out of Soldier Field, which is an iconic, was an iconic stadium until they redid it. Inside, it looks fine. Outside, it looks like a spaceship. And a lot of people wish that the spaceship would go off to Mars. They're going to move to a suburb where, the, where Arlington Racetrack used to be. And that's probably going to happen in the next five or six years. You mean we're not putting a roof on Soldier Field? Oh, my gosh. That, I, I, I can't even believe <laughs> that the mayor even came up with that idea. They already ruined the damn place in the first place when they redid it uh, 19 years ago. A roof on Soldier Field, it's the smallest NFL stadium going. They need to get into the 21st century. They're a little late. Um, well, let's talk about the Bears. <laughs> Why? I, know, I, I tell you what, just before <coughs> that 90 seconds of George recounting the history of the Cubs from Ron Santos on. We got to clip that off. That is so good. That is, I mean, that that's that's every guy and every and every bar stool on Rush Street for the last fifty years. George. No doubt that's about true. it. Well, but in fairness, let's let's go let's go through it. And I mean, uh, the significance of the Bears to me is uh, one thing, and that is, in my entire life, I've made three wagers on football games, NFL football games. That's it. I was living in Las Vegas. I went out on Super Bowl morning to a sports book and I bet $30. Wow. I bet $10. It was the Patriots and the Bears, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yep. Um, I bet $10 on the Patriots. <laughs> I bet $10 on the under. And I bet $10 on Refrigerator Perry to score a touchdown. At halftime, both my game bet and my under bet were over Hi. right but refrigerator perry came through yes at and i got him at 17 to 1 oh good so um i retired from betting on nfl football games <laughs> after that i went one for three and made a whack of dough <laughs> um where are the bears at 
in a nutshell. They're they're still run by the McCaskey family, which of course is the Hallis George Hallis who founded the team and the NFL. Yep. And it, <laughs> if I don't hear every day, sell. McCaskey sell and everybody's saying they're not going to sell forget about it at least they are now taking the right step in trying to get a new facility or a new area where they can build their own stadium because this one is run by the Chicago Park District they don't even own the land mm-hmm. so they can't do anything so if you do that in the suburbs and you can build a dome stadium and then you can attract an NCAA championship game, whatever the NCAA is going to look like in six or seven years, and make it all purpose. Maybe that's the next move. Um, <laughs> they just, when they drafted Mitch Trubisky four years ago, it was one of the biggest mistakes they had made. And anytime you draft the wrong quarterback, you could take a step back a decade. And that's pretty much what it's going to be because. And we, I think we all know in the NFL, you can get better in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't take five years. You could do it quicker. But they don't really have the draft choices other than Justin Fields. And the book is out on him because you really need to have a quarterback to succeed like you do in the NHL. You really do need a goaltender to succeed. Well, they're a ways away. They don't have enough receivers. Their offensive line is, is in question they have a new coach and a new general manager who have the same first surnames as the old general manager and coach. You know, it's their job now to try to guide this franchise in the right direction. Uh, we'll see. It, it, I think Bears fans are realizing this year, 17-game schedule, a good record for them might be 5-12. and 12. Wow. I find it curious that a, a Chicago fan like Offman would uh, convey – um, chagrin at the drafting of a quarterback four years ago. Um, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. Oh. Uh, I can do that uh, 15 times. Oh. Well, I got news for you. The last really good quarter, I mean, the last uh, the Hall of Fame quarterback is 70 years ago. The last quarterback to take them to the Super Bowl is Rex Grossman. He wasn't very good. Jim McMahon was good, not great, but was injury prone. Uh, they really haven't had a Jay Cutler was a that type. They made a trade yep. in 2010 to Denver for an all pro who had the opposite personality, wasn't a leader, but was good. And what did they do? They didn't give him an offensive line in the second year. He was sacked more than any quarterback in the NFL. And he had six offensive coordinators in 10 years. Now that's mismanagement. I'll give you that off, but I'm, I'm just, as a Browns fan, I'm unforgiving. And, I, uh, oh, I understand uh, that. It's it's bad uh, now in Cleveland. George, I'll tell go, you John. what, I, I used to love Jack Kincannon and Bobby Douglas. Those those are my two favorite quarterbacks in Bears history. So. Now you're showing your age. Oh, I was just a oh. child. My dad used to tell, them, tell me about them. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> no, he shows his age every day, and I'm afraid we all do. Oh. Uh, often, it's been great catching up with you. Uh, you look great. You look healthy and happy, and uh, we are, we're, uh, we're pleased for you, and we wish you continued success with your podcast. And uh, we won't make it as long next time when we talk again. Well, if you'll give me a minute, please, because I want to go back to what you originally said. Uh, I think it was 1979 or 80, if you recall. I came to visit. I do. I came to Toronto, stayed with you in Mississauga. 
And you had a hat on. You had like a cowboy okay. hat. Okay. I don't remember. Okay. But anyhow, but anyhow. So we did the show. And correct me if I'm wrong. It was a small little studio. It was off of Young Street. Yep. On Grenville. And we did the show. It was from 8 to 10 or 10 to midnight. I think 10 to midnight. 10 to midnight. So I'm, we're in this little small studio. And I am sitting there as a guest for two hours. And what I'm thinking to myself, I'm in my 20s and you're in your 20s. And I'm sitting with a guy who's got pizzazz and a great future. And this is really important. It's like, it's an important moment for me in my life. And then we began this relationship doing the show for something close to 40 years. I still think back to that time. I remember that. And it is still, to this day, one of the most important things that has ever oh happened to me. God, I can't get a room, you two. Oh, oh hey, God. listen. I, I was, and I, by the way, George, I was at home uh, in bed listening on my Heath kit. So just uh, that was that was all I was doing at that point. I was just a child. So yeah, but you were listening. <laughs> yes. Uh, we we are we are dead up against the, the clock here, but uh, we're going to do this again. OK, I hope so. Thank you, fellas. Thanks, pal. Great to see you. Same here. Uh, George Hoffman. We'll come back after these messages. We are back. McCown, Shannon, and our thanks to Hoffman. <laughs> George, George, uh, I, 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 there's a, there's something that I've adopted, uh, I think, over the years, uh, and I don't know why, uh, and I didn't do it deliberately, but it's been pointed out a few times to me. It seems that if if I really like you, I call you by your last name. Yeah, it's it's but and but George, I tell you what, George is one of those guys. He has the same passion for sports and for broadcasting uh, that a few of us do. And that's what makes him so um, easy to listen to, easy to talk about, and his passion for Chicago sports. Well, is, that's just it. You know, we, we, we talked at the end about the offer that he got to come to Toronto and, and work with, well, work at the station that you and I worked at. Um, we got paid there? One of us got paid. Yeah. Uh, I really never thought he'd do it because I knew how much he loved Chicago and he can deny it all he wants, but he is a Chicago guy up, down, back, forth, and sideways. Yeah. And it was, he just didn't want to leave. Well, and it, I understand it. It's a great and city. I, and I tell you what, uh, you, you understand what, why sports talk radio works in Chicago when you have such lament with all the franchises. I mean, as, as you have told me many times, Bob, when a team wins, sports talk radio is boring. 100%. When a team when a team loses, it's a lot more fun and a lot Look, more listenable. Oh, our rating! I, I know when when the fan launched, the Blue Jays won a World Series. The Maple Leafs won their first ten games of the season. Yeah, and we had like monstrous ratings, but um, it wasn't because of the wins. I don't think. I think it was no. just the newness of the station. Well, it, but at I'll the end what, of the day, the quality of the content is so much better when the team is in trouble. Well, there's lots of teams in trouble in Chicago. <laughs> and you know what? For the most part, you know, you take away the Michael Jordan era and to some extent, the Blackhawks, the little blip. Yeah. And it wasn't that little it was three championships in five or six years, but right. Um, take that away. Not much there. No. White Toronto, Sox, uh, Cubs, Chica Bears. Chicago and Philly. Chicago and Philly are kind of the same kind of cities. Though. Yeah, except Philly fans lose their minds. Chicago fans are a little, a little more reserved. A little. Not that much. All right. We got we to gotta get it ready for the weekend, whatever we decide to do. And uh, so we're going to take it off. You do too. 
our audience, and we'll uh, see you back here on Monday. For John Shannon, Bob McCowan, bye. Bye.